The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. Okay, we are live. Boy, Facebook is excited. They have that big exclamation point. Oh. So I'm battling this cold thing, and it's been a long day, and the live audience is expanding. What's up, live audience? <laughs> I am Bill Amadeo from... McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates and Shiawassee Six and we are we are live. Uh, I'm gonna talk about jobs I didn't get. It's really an interesting list. Matt McManus and I were going over this list today, and holy shit. But before we do that, people have been asking, thanks Kelsey Kells, about the fake garage sale in Shiawas. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Let me explain to you guys what happened. It was um, an interesting day. <clears throat> for some reason, I'm going back to Shiawassee for a second jail visit yesterday, and I am. I'm exhausted. I'm like doing a zoom in the car, um, sucking down pills, you know, I'm like taking Dayquil so I, to help the sore throat and try to stay up, but I got to go visit this kid, and GPS takes me somewhere else. It takes me, my not my normal route to Chi-Town, and I'm driving, and I see like this garage sale, and I'm pumped, right? What I could tell is there's all these sport there's all this sports memorabilia there. And this was some cool stuff. You could tell it was old school stuff. And in the corner of my eye, I see a box of 8081 tops basketball. And I'm thinking to myself, holy shit. Because the PSA ten Larry Bird Magic Johnson rookie from P um from eighty eighty one tops is worth eight hundred and sixty one thousand dollars. And I'm seeing all this, like, Joe Montana memorabilia from the 80s. And, like, you're driving, but it feels like you're going in slow motion. And I'm torn right now. Aaron, wait for it. <laughs> wait for it. So, I want to go shopping. I got cash in the car. I want to buy some old baseball cards. I'm excited. I'm pumped up. And this guy, it's got like these tables out there. Like he's just waiting. And for some reason, nobody's there. Okay. All right, Bill. The right thing to do is do your jail visit. Go visit your client's family. That's what you were there to do. You push through sickness to do this. And those cards will be there on the way back out of town. So I do the visit. I'm being really diligent. I'm all pumped up because I'm thinking to myself, the jail visit went great, the PSI's strong, the family's happy, things are going good, even though I'm sick and I'm dragging ass, I'm pumped up. I'm going back for these baseball cards, right? So I'm slowly rolling up on this guy's house. And I beat the horn, hey! <laughs> I jump out of the car, I'm calling a friend of mine, there's a box of 80-81 tops basketball at this guy's house, holy shit! He's saying the bird, the Johnson. I'm so pumped up. So I go up to him. I said, hey, what's going on? He goes, hey, how you doing? So I'm, may, I, may I look at your stuff? 
Yeah, yeah, go ahead, whatever. And he's looking back at his house, he's pissed off, and he's like cursed at somebody in the house. I'm like, alright, I don't know what's going on. So he's got like this box of basketball cards, which is like the holy grail, right? And it's hidden under a bunch of other stuff. And then there's these Joe Montana rookies, he's got like a few of them. All in their glass cases. <clears throat> so I said to him, I want to I want to look at those 80 81 tops basketball cards but how much for the Montanas? I want to buy all three of them. And he screams at me, "You asshole, these aren't for sale." I'm like, what are you talking about? Cuz my wife kicked me out and she put all my stuff out on the street. <laughs> and he's concerned it's going to rain. So we engage in this conversation. I'm like, "But when she put your stuff out, it looked like a garage sale." Like, the cards are all set up. He goes, oh, well, she had a lot of free time on her hands. It was really... <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, I tried to explain to the man that, listen, this is, like, not a great part of Shiawassee, okay? So that box of basketball cards there could be Wait for it, Aaron. I did leave it in my car. <clears throat> Could be worth a lot of money. And he says to me, Well, I have a lot of family that's in trouble with the law, and I know who you are. Can I have your business card? Maybe we can make some trades. <laughs> so, I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, good luck with everything. And I'm like calling him like a stalker on the way home. Hey, do anything with those cards yet? <laughs> this is not going to be a five-star Google review. He's going to be saying that that weird lawyer came up to my house, tried to solicit my cards, and then kept calling me. I mean, I called this guy like a few times on the way home. Hey, buddy, what's going on with those cards? You doing anything? Anyway, so apparently um, the wife, she um, put all his stuff out, make it look like a garage sale. They're having some problems. Um... I did say, you know, we could always work something out for the cards, and he, I think, kind of turned them off. So, yeah, that was the um, fake garage sale in Shiawassee. But, gosh, you had to see it, right? I mean, he, she laid the stuff out perfectly. Like, I, I dated my share of crazy women, right? And I, I think to myself, they would just burn the cards. I mean, this woman laid out there like it was a garage sale. The Montanas were here. The 8081 Tops basketball was there. It was a very weird array of collectibles. But, um, yeah, that's what happened. Okay. Now, let's move on to jobs I didn't get. <laughs> Live audience is cracking me up a little bit. We were going through um, a list here of jobs that I did not get prior to my current position in life. <clears throat> And boy, you know, sometimes, sometimes, no, Aaron, there was no sign saying garage sale, but why would it all be laid out there? Come on. It was, anybody would have thought that was a garage sale. I keep running out with cash. Hey, let's talk. It was a table, right? He had the cards on the table. Damn. All right, back to those jobs I didn't get. Hmm. So, when I was in law school, I was working with this one firm. I won't get into their name. 
Um, could be some litigation there. But, um, so one partner was stealing from the other partner. They weren't paying any of the associates. And uh, one night, being that I was such a dedicated first-year associate, I would basically sleep in the office. They had a little shower spot there, a little um, gym for me, and I would just be working all the midnight hours. And one of my first um, cases was this divorce case, believe it or not. And it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm in the office. And it's like a gated community. This is like a nice part of Jersey, right? And you couldn't get in without like a security card. And here this guy comes up. We're like on the ninth floor or whatever. And uh, he goes, you're Amadeo. Yes, sir. How you doing? Now, first thing you got to say to yourself is this isn't good. Why is this guy coming to see me at 2 o'clock in the morning? He didn't call or text. He explains to me he's the husband and I'm representing the wife. And he puts a gun to my head. I'm thinking, huh, this isn't good. Um, I tell one of the partners, hey, um... I talked my way out of the situation, but this guy put a gun to my head last night. I just thought you were curious about that. And he said to me, did you get his information? Could we get a referral fee pushing the case out? Uh, turns out, they had no desire to pay me. Um, they're in litigation. The firm's no longer in a play. But uh, it was interesting, because they owed me a ton of money. And so I get fired. And in New Jersey, you got to go to these things called ICL classes continuing legal education it was so depressing being maybe the only one of these goddamn classes who was not employed at the time and i'm so depressed and you know everyone's coming in their suit and ties i gotta fulfill these classes and and i'm working as a journalist and i'm doing research it sucked okay 2008 2009 sucked amen on that guys jesus so, yeah, they said amen. You can't hear her. It was muffled. So one night at this equal class, this judge speaks, and this guy, like this motivational speaker, and he's pounding his fist on the table. It is your job to be ethical. You have to do what's right in this profession. You have to do A, B, C, and D. And I'm like, holy shit, this guy just gets it, right? Now, I've never been one to snitch on my people. We don't eat our own in this profession. I mean, even if I pick over a case, take over a case where somebody's like a cokehead, wink, wink, you know who I'm talking about, um, you know, you don't go rat your own kind. And I'm moved by this judge. And I said to this judge, sir, what you said tonight was awesome. I took these notes. Here's my situation. I won't tell you the firm, but this is what happened to me. I said, they broke every ethical rule you could imagine. I don't know what to do. And he says to me, as the whiskey spilled off his breath, it apparently wasn't a water bottle he was sucking on all night. Well, you sound like an asshole for taking a job with that firm. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to get to the bar. I'm like, huh. And I realized at that point, hmm, Jersey politics. Well, it's going to be interesting. Let's stick on the Jersey theme. As many of you know, Scott Grable's a mentor of mine. What many of you don't know is his father owned Grable's Bar in Atlantic City. <sighs> Grable's Bar was an institution in Atlantic City. 
and I'm bartending at Tropicana, and one of my goals is to get a second job for the summer, and I want to bartend at Grable's. If you bartend at Grable's, you made it, right? And Mark Grable, Mark Grable was who Scott's brother was the one who was in charge of hiring. Now, my mom used to sing karaoke at Grable's Bar. And one night, I was bartending at Tropicana, and they gave out these rubber rats, right? And my mom brought the rubber rat to a friend of hers, and Mark Grable wanted this god rubber rat so bad. Scott, if you're tuned in, I hope you're locked in on this one, because we've been about this rubber rat for a while. So Mark Grable tells my mom, I want that rubber rat. I want that rubber rat. Like, this was Mark Grable's mission. He wanted this rubber rat that Tropicana gave out. So I go to my interview at Grable's Bar. And I walk in with this great resume. I'm a kid in college. I'm bartending at Tropicana. I want to work for you, Mr. Grable. And I present him with a rubber rat. Mark Grable took the rubber rat and declined my application and that was the end of that scott grable jokes around about it today he says do you present a rubber rat to defendants who have to roll on people but yeah grable's bar didn't work out but i wasn't done you know what i wanted to do was get this second job bartend and i applied to knife and fork in atlantic city now Many of you people know the Knife and Fork Inn if you're from Atlantic City. It's a high-end, upscale place. And I met with one of the owners, and he's doing this whole interview process. And uh, it's going on and on. And it was like, I've had tests that were shorter in time. But he says, he starts screaming at me, You can't smoke behind my bar. I don't smoke. He goes, God, I told you you can't smoke behind my bar. Like, Okay. So he goes, let's see what you got. He brings out these knives, right? I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to cut some lemons, cut some limes. I got that. He brings out these onions. What? He goes, let's see what you got, kid. Because you got to chop up these onions. They had this special drink, the knife and fork back then, that had to put onions in, right? Like, I don't know what to do. I don't chop onions. I don't cook. I don't know. So I start chopping the onions up, trying to fake it through. And like these tears are rolling down my eyes. He goes, what are you, a pussy? You cried at my interview? Like, no, sir, it's the onions. It didn't work out well. I didn't get the job the night before again. Later in time, um, I'm in Lansing, right? And I'm pretty excited because a friend of mine, we're both fresh out of law school. And I'm back in Lansing. I'm going to take the bar in Michigan now. I'm past the bar in Jersey. And he's telling me about this firm he's working at. <clears throat> and he keeps saying, you got to pay your dues. But it's going to be big money in time. I won't mention the firm's name. And I'm, I'm pretty excited. So I go in for the interview. <clears throat> all suited up i'm looking nice i'm doing my thing and i don't have a lot of experience you go that's okay you'll learn on the fly you're a hard worker cool so they hand you this thing right it looks like a menu 
What is this? Well, this is what you need to know about the firm. And I'm looking and I'm like, okay. It looked like a menu at a restaurant, right? I'm really confused. It said pens, $4. Paper clips, $5 per hundred. Secretarial assistant, blah, blah, blah. He goes, so we're going to need a $500 deposit from you. And then these will be against your draws. I'm like, excuse me? So you had to pay to work at this firm. <laughs> well, I'm broke. I mean, I couldn't afford the $4 pens back then. And my friend was telling me, hey, one day. We big. Well, I got to tell you, bro. That was 2008. He's still at that firm. I'm hoping. Did he break even yet? No, he didn't break even. Yeah. He's still in the hole. I applied to work at Sam Bernstein. Not the Sam Bernstein from Ann Arbor, who's a damn good criminal lawyer, but the uh, civil firm Sam Bernstein. And um, I walked in there, and I thought I was doing okay with the interview. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm calling my friend Brian Largy as I'm all excited. Hey, I just interviewed with the Sam Bernstein law firm, and they said they're going to get back to me really soon. And... Um, I'm all excited, and I said, oh, let me go back in, I want to use the bathroom real quick, but I'll call you back. I go back, and the secretary threw my resume in the trash can. <laughs> like, hmm. They, they haven't called yet. <laughs> but, you know, the one thing you could turn to when you were in need of a job was your law school. <laughs> People wonder why me and Cooley aren't on great terms. Let me tell you about 2009. There was a job at the Cooley Register's office for $15 an hour. I am a licensed attorney and the economy sucks. And I applied for the Register's office and they turned me down. Then they had a job for an adjunct professor. They turned me down. I contacted this guy, let's just call him SH. He'll sue for sure, right? Yeah, I can't mention his name. SH. And he was in charge of, let's just say he had played a role in hiring. And I said to him, listen, I will work a month for free to prove to you how good I am. And he responded, we don't want you here. Jesus Christ! He turned down free labor. That wasn't the first, last time. I would um be turned down for free work. Having a degree in journalism has been amazing. I applied for the examiner.com. And the examiner.com was this website where they um They'd want your sports articles. And I had experience in sports writing. And uh, one of their pitches were, you make your own hours, and you make as many articles as you want. We're interested in all of them. So your earning potential is unlimited. When you got through page 28 of the contract, they paid you 28 cents a page. And I learned that if I wrote like a thousand articles a day, I might be able to eat. Um, that didn't work out. Then there was this stock website I wrote for. 
Now, keep in mind, I am poor and living in Lansing. And I applied to this stock website. You're just what we're looking for. So I'm all excited writing these like press releases for these stock companies. Which was scary. I don't have two twenties to rub together when I'm writing these articles, right? One of the things I would do is I would call the CEOs of these companies. Hey, how you doing? Don't I'm a day I'm writing this article about your company. They would hang up the phone. It's like, my God, the CEO didn't want to give a quote. It was a really rough time period. Um, things were just really weird, right? And I, I go back to Jersey. And my friend Scott Zolber, may he rest in peace. He hooks me up with one of his friends. Now let me explain to you who this friend was. I've mentioned this story before. This is the Italian guy from Jersey that graduated from Cooley. You follow this? Italian Jersey Cooley. Holy sh! It's it's on point, right? It's meant to be. It's destiny. I go into this interview, and I'm like, things are rough right now, okay? I go into this interview, and I tell this man, I will work a month free of charge and prove to you how good I am. And it was the month of December. Let me tell you something, man. Christmas Eve, I was in there. Christmas Day, I was in there. New Year's Eve, I was there. New Year's Day, I'm working around the clock. I'm making this guy money hand over fist. He's not so much as buying me lunch and it's time to get hired and I'm pumped up and there's no way he's not hiring me I mean, it's working 16 hours a day I'm proving my worth and he says to me B got an applicant from Rutgers and we're going with him I'm like what you saw what I could do nope Rutgers applicant came in said you went to Cooley well, what do you want me to do? A better applicant came in. Yeah, a better applicant, by the way, is disbarred today with a cocaine problem. Um, that went well. That man has tried to bring me back to Jersey to run his criminal department. And all I could say to you, sir, is please look at the scoreboard and kiss my ass. With that being said, in this time of desperation, I make two phone calls. One, I call somebody who was a mentor to me at Cooley. And I said to him, you know, I could have transferred anywhere, and you told me to stay at Cooley. Now I'm back in Jersey, and I'm losing these jobs to lesser qualified applicants. And this man, who was a big-time dean at Cooley, said to me, well, what do you expect? I'm going to hire one of us in Jersey. <laughs> what? Jesus Christ. So what you do in this time is you turn to your childhood priest, Cole Father Sullivan. <laughs> And Sullivan said to me, well, I'll tell you what, Amadego. You made it through law school. That's more than we ever thought you would do. So, good for you, sir. I don't really have money to eat right now. Hello? <laughs> ah, man. I'll tell you what, guys. Thank God for unanswered prayers, huh? So many of those jobs... Would have been a disaster. And there's so many more I could mention. I could tell you at a time I worked a month in the library. You know, I'm an educated guy. I'll meet smart women.
And like, wow, I'll make connections. <laughs> Let me tell you, the Lansing library system is not quite as amazing as you might think. Like, they'd come up to you and they would say, oh, I got a question, sir, it's raining outside, what should I do? <laughs> Put the umbrella up? I don't you know, and one of the things you want to do with the job is make small talk, but those career librarians take that style of serious. You don't talk in the library. That was a rough three weeks. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Asked to tell the story of my connection to Donald Trump from my youth. <sighs> Let me start with this. This is not a political segment because before he was President of the United States, before all the drama with his Twitter and stuff I knew the Donald and um, you know I think everybody knows where I stand politically right now so it's not gonna be about politics because where you stand with him whether you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump that's not really relevant to this but I am gonna tell you a little bit about what happened as a kid with Donald Trump and uh, some people know this story some people know parts of it but let's start with this you know before there was McManus and Amadeo and before I was with Grable and Associates and before everything happened we lived in Ducktown Atlantic City and Ducktown in the 90s was a pretty rough place. Um, there's Pitney Village, which was a housing project, which was one of the most dangerous housing projects in Atlantic City. We were um, possibly the last white family in the neighborhood. Um, well, I don't know what it's like to be a minority. I know during that time period, what it was like to be different. And there was this little wooden fence separating us from Pitney Village. And it was, um, it was rough. And in our little alley, it was Willow Avenue, right? Little tiny apartment we had. If you looked up, you saw the big red light that said Trump Plaza on it. At that time in Atlantic City, Trump owned um, four casinos. He owned Taj Mahal, which was his baby, um, World's Fair, Trump Marina, and Trump Plaza. And Trump Plaza always kind of felt like home to me because, you know, we were poor and Aunt Mary used to say to me, one day you could tell people Donald Trump was your neighbor because you would look up at that Trump Plaza sign. And as stupid as it sounds, 
that Trump Plaza sign um, represented like hope. That amidst this poverty, there's this multi-million dollar gambling cathedral. And within an eight minute walk, maybe one day we could get out of here and have a taste of what that was like. So, in those ways, you know, it was like, a, it really was a sign of hope. And things were rough as a kid. Um, I wouldn't trade my aunt and mom for anybody in the world. I miss them every goddamn day. But I will tell you, um, growing up in Ducktown, during that time period, I know things have changed a little bit today, but growing up there, um, things were just rough. We used to live at my address so I could play baseball in Ventnor. Ventnor, that's another story. But it was always kind of like <clears throat> you were the outcast, you know? Because in Ventnor, which was quasi-suburbs, if you would, they knew you weren't one of them. And they didn't like you. Um, back home, it was sort of a war zone. And it was just a rough place to be. And the Trump Plaza sign always kind of gave you hope that, hey, one day, you know. And one day, <clears throat> I was a sophomore in high school. It was this really rainy day. And I got off the Jitney. The Jitney in Atlantic City, like these little mini buses, right? You had your Jitney tickets or you paid your 75 cents and the Jitney took you here to there. And I go up to Jitney and there were two kids that were just out of Harbor Fields. And Harbor Fields was juvenile detention back in South Jersey. And they came at me. And um, it's a story I think I kind of blocked out a lot, but... I will say this, I escaped that day. And I escaped by understanding where a tunnel was between Trump Plaza and the Atlantic City Convention Center. And um, I looked at it, it was like some kind of weird connection. And I remember as a kid one day, I was riding my bicycle home from baseball practice. And this is from Ventnor, so it was a hell of a hike. <clears throat> And it got late, and it was raining, and um, I drove, I rode my bike, I should say, by the valet part of Trump Plaza. And there was Donald Trump. I'm, I don't know, I'm 12, 13, something like that. And he's talking to the valet drivers, and uh, they're having a bad night, and he gave them a bunch of cash and said, hang in there, guys, things are going to be good. And he saw me, and we just made eye contact. And he said, um, how far have you been riding that bike, kid? And I said, I came from Ventnor. And he laughed, and he's like, you're a tough kid. Because you're going to go places. And he got in his limo, and he drove away. Weird. Go home, I tell Aunt Mare. <clears throat> Hey, Donald Trump was impressed that I was riding my bike home from Ventnor. And um, we had a laugh about it. And that was that. Um, 
you know, <clears throat> there's so many horrible things about Atlantic City. So many things I could say from my youth. When people tell me how fearless I am in court or they see me on Zoom or uh, they see me in court and I say, man, this guy, he's got no fear. It's because I learned how to mass fear in Atlantic City. Growing up where we grew up, it was it was a war zone. That's all it was. I mean, that's all I could tell you. Say anything you want. Um, it was always in the top ten most dangerous cities. And, you know, on the boardwalk, the tourists were there. Off that boardwalk, you go a few blocks back then. It was bad. And it was bad where we lived. And, again, the whole Trump Plaza thing was always, like... Like that little glimmer of hope that hey, something good could happen here, you know. Um, things you know they happen. I graduate high school and go to college, and I'm working in Tropicana, and uh, I'm working at Trop, and I'm full time in school. And I'm working full time. I remember 16 credits at Stockton and working 40 hours at TROP. And I'm on the union negotiation committee. And uh, I got to meet Donald Trump again after the union negotiation committee. And it was interesting. And I, you know, I don't think he knows me from Adam, but here's Mr. Trump. He showed up the last couple days in the periphery of where the committee was negotiating. And I'm like a kid, right? I mean, I'm still in college. And the last day of negotiations, he grabs me by my left and he said to me, B. And at first I'm thinking, B, how the hell does he know my nickname? And Donald Trump's a purveyor of information, man. He said, B. You're too big for this town. And I'm saying, Mr. Trump this, Mr. Trump that. I'm talking about all our union issues. He goes, look, what you say is not going to mean a hill of beans in the morning. He said, but you need to go to law school. He goes, there's something special about you. There's something amazing about every guy in the room is going to want to be you or get to you. And don't waste that talent. You know, and at that time, we were um, trying to get out of Atlantic City. I was saving money to get my aunt and my mom a house in Ventnor. And where we actually were renting a house from, the people who owned the house got a good deal of money from the Casino Redevelopment Association, and they were supposed to give some of that money to the tenants. Of course, they didn't. And things were rough. I remember working so many hours just trying to save up to get our house on Dudley Avenue, which was eventually destroyed in Hurricane Sandy. And then finally, me and Jewel sold it about a year ago after it was rebuilt. House was a nightmare, but it was also a sign of our first big accomplishment. My first big accomplishment was to get my family the f*** out of Ducktown and buy that house in the suburbs. And, um... It was a rough time period, you know, and having Donald Trump say to me that go to law school and tell me who I was, 
you know, you're it. You're the guy everybody's going to want to be. And, you know, we stayed in touch a little bit over the years. And, you know, when I when I think of Trump, and I don't want to make this political, because I disagree with so many things that have happened politically, but I'm going to tell you, getting to know the man a little bit, personally, not the guy I see on TV, um, not the one who's disappointed me in a lot of ways with some of the things he said, and the one who is a Twitter icon, or however you want to put it. I remember being a scared 13-year-old riding my bike home, and he told me I was tough. I remember running for my life about 15 years old and hiding between the convention center and his casino. I remember seeing those bright red Trump Plaza signs glaring down. Yeah, it was 2 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and you're depressed, and that sign was glaring, and you thought, huh. And um, I remember at about the age of 21, being in college and saving to get my Aunt Mom out of the Atlantic City and uh, him telling me how I'm going to be a star if I go to law school. And he, I mean, you know, there were so many people he came in contact with the fact that he pulled me to the side and spoke to me for a few minutes. And we, you know, we did stay in touch a little bit throughout the years. And, you know, we don't talk anymore. But I do say that there's been times in life, agree with his politics or not, when Donald Trump has believed in Bill Amadeo when nobody else did. And on a personal level, I'll always appreciate that. You know, when you um, when you were deemed poor white trash from the ghetto, and one of the most powerful people in the world sees something in you, and not only sees something in you, but encourages you, and tells you to go for it, and tells you that he sees something in you. I mean, you can't put a price tag on that. The fear of Atlantic City will never leave me. And I thrive off that at times. When I'm in court and like I get too passionate or I get crazy or I just become the true believer in criminal defense, I mean, I look back to my youth. And, you know, Scott Grable said something one time which was really powerful. Scott and I were talking, and I had a big hearing coming up. And I was scared for this hearing. It was like 2018. And Scott said, going to this circuit court is nothing to be scared of. Growing up at Pitney Village was something to be scared of. That was a powerful moment. Um, and I know that Scott and I have had our screaming matches, but he's been an amazing role model to me. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be in crim law. 
you know, and there's moments like the Grable conversation, there's moments like the Trump conversation, when if you really watch and listen, these things can just help advance you. And I, whatever the feelings are towards Mr. Trump as a politician, I will tell you that his support, not economically, I never got a dime from the guy, okay? But the emotional support he displayed to me at a time when I needed it is something I'll always be grateful for. Um, I won't sit here and debate how I feel about his policies. And I won't sit here and agree with many of the things he said. And I'm not going to sit here and bash him for a while. I'm going to tell you that he didn't know me a goddamn thing. And he told me in a lot of ways I was going to get out of that place. He told me I was special. He told me I was going to be a star. He didn't have to. You know. And everything in this world subjective. Am I an amazing lawyer or do I suck? Well, that depends on who you talk to. You know? Um, do I play too hard? Do I get hurt emotionally in these cases? Yeah. I mean, to care as much as I do on every case is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because you could feel how much I care for the clients. It's a curse because it emotionally exhausts the hell out of me. And it's 9.19 on Saturday night, and I'm going to be working a few more hours because I care that much for my clients. But that work ethic is also something that Trump saw that, you know, he believed in me at a time when very few of anybody did. I will tell you <clears throat> where we came from. My Aunt Mare, may she rest in peace. My mom, who I miss every day. Mom had me real young. In a lot of ways, mom was like a sister and Aunt Mare was the mother. My grandfather, my Uncle Sam, and uh, Miss Gandea, who was an amazing journalism teacher from high school who told me I was going to go places. The first four people are blood. And blood, you feel in some ways have an obligation, you know, to cheer you on. Miss Gandy was just a special human being. She was not her mother figure to me. I remember when I was going to quit mock trial my junior year. They didn't want me on the team. I think I was the only Gentile on the team. And Atlantic City High was really, you know, like the Atlantic City and Brigantine kids went this way. The Margate and Ventnor kids went that way. And mock trial was all the, um, it was elite Jewish students from Margate and this Italian kid from Atlantic City. And I was going to quit. I didn't like them. They didn't like me. And Miss Scandia grabbed me by the throat. And she said to me, you go to back up there. You show them who you are. We're all counting on you. I didn't know what that meant back then. You know, Miss Scandia, black woman from Virginia with the last name of Gandia, she was one tough woman. She saw everything in her life. She bestilled so much encouragement on her students, her inner circle. I mean, miss her every day.
I always feel like Gandhi is somewhat watching over me. But I consider Miss Gandhi a family. I don't consider Donald Trump family. He was an outsider, you know? He was somebody who didn't know me from the man to moon. Again. And I know I've said things about him out of frustration. Um, but I feel I owe him a debt of gratitude on a lot of levels. We may never talk again. He may not even remember me for all I know at this point. But the connections we've had in life have been powerful. There was a time we were on a first name basis and I've done my thing and he's done his thing and, you know, obviously there's a lot of differences there. Um, I don't think I'll ever achieve his notoriety. I don't think he'll ever understand what makes me tick. But we did connect a little bit. He was a much older, powerful individual who took an interest in me. And other than the loved ones I named, he was someone, and I can't stress this enough, he didn't have to give me any encouragement. And he did. So, knowing what Atlantic City was like, the obstacles and the pain. And I mean, there's far worse stories than mine, but I'm going to tell you, in any success story, it's not just the individual and the work ethic. There's people that played a role in it. Maybe people that helped you financially, maybe people that helped you emotionally, maybe people that just pat you on the back during that rough day. And matter how you feel about him, he was one of those people for me. And I will be forever grateful for that. Um, it kind of hurts me emotionally that I have said some of the things I've said about him politically. I will always speak my mind. And there's been things that have been done that have disgusted me with Donald Trump. But I'll never forget the debt of gratitude I feel I kind of owe him for taking interest when he didn't have to and it wasn't just me there were other kids in that area that he gave encouragement to I get it I'm going to hear people with the hatred towards him and it's quite often justified but I do feel there is another side of the coin and I'm not saying that other side of the coin deserves your vote because God knows I didn't support him in the last election um, I don't feel the other side of the coin warrants some of the things he has said and done. But I think it is warranted to know that there have been good things that he's done and taking interest in me is something I will be forever grateful for. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between 
between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.